Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope that this message from Pastor Jason Charles and the City Collective team challenges and inspires you. Enjoy. All right. How many people got cinnamon bun on the way in? I know you're going to get it on the way out. That's the key. That's the key. <laughs> a little bit of dessert before lunch. But it's, it's great that we get a little bit of a cinnamon buns on Easter morning. Uh, we had sunshine yesterday. Yesterday we had our Easter extravaganza. We had so many people come out for it. It was our first one we ever did. And we had over 650 people come through the doors to come and enjoy a little bit of bouncy castles. I heard so many kids that just like showed up and they were so excited about one thing. They saw the bouncy castle in the distance. They did not care about anything else around them. They made a beeline straight to the Bouncy Castle. And I can't blame them. Can't blame them because the bounces were good yesterday. And the sunshine was warm. And uh, the hot dogs were warm as well. I hope so at least. I think it was a good day overall for everyone that was a part of it. Well, but welcome. Uh, my name is Jason. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor of our church community called City Collective. And this is, this is our first Easter together here. We just got going I guess seven months ago now, and today is Resurrection Sunday. And this moment, uh, this is the moment we stare directly into the center of the Christian tradition, what we believe is the hinge point of history. As Christians, we believe that there is a before and that there is an after. We believe that the story of Jesus was, was leading up to that specific moment on Resurrection Sunday, on that morning of Easter. Because everything changes there. Everything hinges upon that first Easter morning. So we're going to talk about that today. And, and one of the long abiding traditions of the church that has extended throughout generations is that on Easter Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday, uh, the guy up on stage with the microphone, he says, he is risen and everyone says, he is risen indeed. That's pretty good. You guys already know it already, it seems like. But we're going to do it one more time. And I'm going to say, he is risen Man, you guys are good all over it. So, so good. Uh, and with that, whether you know it or not, whether you uh, adhere to the same belief system that, that I do in this specific moment, this is a point at which we all draw together. Churches across this city, across this nation, and across this world, and voices that have extended past generations, uh, all declaring the name of Jesus, gather around this singular thought that he is risen indeed. Now this morning, wherever you find yourself on your journey of faith, uh, Christian, non-Christian, atheist, agnostic, not really sure what you believe at all. Sometimes church can be a little bit of a weird experience if you've never been here before, if you're not sure what's going on. But I just hope that you felt welcome so far, that even if you didn't get a cinnamon bun on the way in, that you know that there's one waiting for you on the way out. Uh, but you were greeted with a smile, hopefully a cup of coffee, and it has been a good start to your time together with us this morning. We are just so glad that you're here with us. Whether you believe in Jesus, whether you approve his teaching, whatever you think about even the idea of the people who follow him in this particular time in history, uh, I think we can all agree that this, this moment of the crucifixion, this idea of Jesus, has played a role in what our society looks like today. It has has an impact no matter what you believe. So I'm going to read a portion from the story of Jesus found in the Bible, specifically in John chapter 20, and we're going to toss it up on the screen for you. John chapter 20, verses 11 to 18. 
So you can follow along on there. And it says this, but Mary, and this isn't Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is Mary, Mary Magdalene, an individual who came to know Jesus through his ministry. And she says, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned away and she saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell him, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he has said these things to her. Do you join me in a word of prayer? Uh, father, thank you for this morning, for moments that we get to share together, for this message of hope that you give to us. Uh, wherever we find ourselves today, whatever we're carrying with us. Thank you that the hope of your resurrection is still for us. Thank you that we are invited into this new story. And I pray that our hearts today are open to whatever you have for us. If we have questions about the reality of, of who you are, if we have questions about our own life and where it all fits together, if we're not even sure why we're here this morning, I just pray that, that there's an openness to the possibility of you. Thank you that we are invited into that. So grateful. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, question for you this morning. Do you, do you ever catch yourself wanting to skip to the good part? Like the, the fight scene at the end of the movie? Like the, the climactic moment? Uh, the overtime winning goal of the five hour long hockey game, and I'm still grieving the loss of my Calgary Flames. I'm glad it happened on Good Friday, not Easter Sunday. <laughs> we we want to like skip to the good part. The, the only song in the album that's actually any good. Skipping, skipping the, the dating scene and just finding the right person. Skipping the part of sitting in a classroom in school just to making real money. Skipping the long hours of sleepless nights just so you can have them sleep trained. Skipping the process of spiritual deconstruction just so you can have perfect clarity. Skipping that moment of repentance to simply find forgiveness. Skipping the difficult and the mundane and the uncertain to find that which is comfortable and, which we're, and where we feel is good. I know I do this. I want to skip to the good part. Because the good part feels right and, and, and it feels like the place that I want to get to. And it's what I'm always striving for, it feels like. I want to skip to the good part. And in a lot of ways, I think that Easter, unfortunately, is this process where we want to skip to the good part. This, and of course, there is Good Friday. And, and, and we see it and we experience it. And this brutal crucifixion of an innocent man willingly giving himself for us, taking upon great pain, great suffering, great evil, 
that he did not deserve, showing us at every step of the way this new way of forgiveness, this new way of living, this new way of love, this new way of grace, this new way of acceptance. And there's great pain in this moment. And, and even as I reflected upon it on Friday and as I reflect upon it throughout my life, I, I feel that pain. And, and I'm aware of it. And then I immediately try and go to that place of, of Sunday and I search for that hope and my mind goes to Easter Sunday and nothing's wrong with that. It's not wrong to know that Jesus is coming back in victory and yes, this is beautiful and yes, I believe this is the story, but in a lot of ways it is skipping to the good part because the pain of Friday, it wasn't over on Sunday morning. And maybe this sounds heretical to some of you, but bear with me. Because at the very beginning of the passage we just read, here at the central point of the Christian celebration, there are tears at the start. In fact, there were a lot of tears. Tears of Jesus' death, when breath finally left his tortured lungs, tears at the crucifixion as Jesus' hands and feet were nailed to a wooden block. There were tears at his trial, tears at his arrest. There were even tears in the garden as he was preparing himself for what was coming. Because Jesus wasn't a masochist, someone with a martyr complex who wanted to die. He, he prayed in the garden, God, if there is another way, let's do that. Because he's facing death. And, and, and death hurts. Death is not what Jesus desired in that moment. And, and in some ways, just like you and I, that we want to skip to the good part, Jesus in the garden is saying, I want to skip to the good part. Jesus was like us in that moment. He wanted to skip to the good part. And before we come to the idea of celebration, we need to live in this tension between knowing that the story is one and yet living in the story as it unfolds. Because this is what Jesus is doing with us. He doesn't simply come down to earth and skip the good part. He comes and he experiences what it means to be human. The good, the bad, and the ugly. The feeling of pain, the feeling of victory, feeling of rejection and the feeling of acceptance, the feeling of new life and the feeling of death. He experienced it all with us. And then we find Mary Magdalene and she's at the tomb and Mary, she's come to know Jesus in his time on earth. And Mary, she, she's seen him do impossible things and she's gotten to know him and she's seen his life form right in front of her. She's heard him teach and talk about the idea of a resurrection after a few days. And yet we find her at the tomb still weeping, unsure and uncertain, not knowing what was going to come next. I find it fascinating. At the very beginning of this book in the Gospel of John, it, the very first thing that Jesus says is, what are you seeking? And then the very first thing that Jesus says after the resurrection is, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Because we are all 
seeking something. We all desire something. And maybe more common language is we're all, we're all pursuing something or we all crave something. So my, my question for you this morning is, what do you crave? What is it that you crave? All right, perhaps my next statement is going to uh, draw back some flashbacks to previous church experiences, but I have a confession to make. Um, I have a problem with sugar, but I don't like chocolate. I know, shock and awe. That's why I make the statement. And this feels, uh, this feels kind of contradictory to the season that we're in, where we, everything is about chocolate and the Easter bunny is running wild and cocoa beans are flowing free and bunnies are generous. And it's a, it's a good time of year. Everyone's having fun with the idea of chocolate. But I do not particularly enjoy it. And, and I have, uh, in, in an attempt to reduce my amount of sugar intake, I have discovered that my palate has a particular lean towards candy. Call me a child. That's what it is. But I have noticed that in my attempt to reduce the amount of sugar, I've tried a couple different things. And currently, I've taken the way of the keto. And, uh, and what that has meant is I've had to really reduce any kind of sugar intake. And uh, you, when you take away something, I think you realize how much you actually do crave it. And I've discovered that I really do like sweet things. I really do like sugar. But with not liking chocolate, it creates a little bit of a struggle in moments because one of the things that you can eat in a keto diet are these chocolate peanut butter cups that you can make at home. And, and you know what? You might love them, but I'm bearing with the chocolate to get to the peanut butter. Because I want to get to the sweet. I want to get to the sugar. And I'm like, chocolate, I'm like, ah, it's okay. It's like a medium for my peanut butter. It does the job. And I'm going to just bear with it to get to the thing that I crave. And I find it fascinating. And it might seem like a silly example. But the things that we crave often cause us to do things that we don't actually believe in or desire or pursue or think that we want to actually do in life. But because we crave it so badly, it leads us down a path that we weren't expecting. And if chocolate is involved, maybe it's better for you than it is for me. So what is it that you crave? Sugar like me? Power? Money? Acceptance? Freedom? Happiness? Respect? Achievement? What is it that you crave? And I'm not going to ask you to answer this out loud and, because I know I'm going to get like a Miss America answer of like world peace because everyone's just going to say the thing that they think everyone else wants to hear. But I want you to ask yourself that question. What is it that you crave? Because whether we admit it or not, whether we recognize it or not, the thing that we crave drives our actions, our decisions, and the life that we live. This is how marketing works. That's why you see a celebrity drinking a can of Pepsi because, because you drink that can of Pepsi, you're now gonna be famous. 
That's why you see the athlete wearing the, the Nike check, because if you wear those shoes, suddenly you're going to be able to actually dunk on a 10-foot net. It's a lie. I've tried. It's not going to work. <laughs> the things that we crave drive the decisions that we have in our story. Recently, I came across this statistical analysis where they're considering our usage of online platforms over the course of a minute in comparison from 2018 to 2019. You can throw it up on the screen. You can throw up the 2018 one. But basically, the analysis shows us that what happens in an internet minute. And in 60 seconds, we see that there are 18 million text messages sent 3.7 million Google searches, 266,000 hours of Netflix that are watched in that single minute, and 174,000 people scrolling on Instagram, and even even better, 1.1 million people who are swiping on Tinder. Fast forward to our present day in 2019, and we see that some of the numbers haven't really, really changed, but I want you to pay specific attention to Netflix. Because Netflix, in the course of a year, has jumped almost three times. Almost three times the number of people, a number of hours are watched on Netflix, and 28% increase in the number of Tinder swipes. People are swiping and they're surfing, unable to, to decide who they want to date and unable to decide what they're going to watch. Because that's how Netflix and Tinder work, right? And we correlate it with social monotony, simply trying to fill the time. But, but even Netflix recognizes that this trend speaks of craving. Their team, they came across this really interesting stat. And they noted that every single member of Netflix shares six shows with another member. And their latest marketing campaign isn't about watching the latest show. It isn't about their latest piece of original content. It is around something that we all crave. It's around connection. It's around relationship. And they have these posters saying this. You have six shows in common with anyone in the bar. You have six shows in common with stingy tippers. You have six shows in common with your new crush over there. And you have six shows in common with decaf people. Find yours. And they're saying that if you haven't been able to build relationships or to find connection with the people around you, then you need our service actually to fulfill that craving. Because what they recognize is that the actions and the decisions and the life that we live isn't based on what we do, it's based on what we crave. And in a world where we see and we experience so much pain, I find consistently that the greatest moments that we share always incorporate connection and relationship. And we all crave connection. We all crave relationship. We all crave to be seen and to be heard and to be known. And if Jesus is God and he just wanted to skip, the good, to, skip to the good part, he could have. But what if the thing that he craves is not simply a great story to tell on an Easter Sunday, but it's actually relationship and connection with you and with me?
with humanity at its core? What if he isn't some deity, divine, separated from us, unable to really connect with us, but he comes down and he experiences all that makes us human, not simply to check a box and say that he's like one of us, but to say, I'm with you and I understand the struggle that you are feeling and I still love you in the midst of it. Love feels very different when they actually are with you and empathizing and in your struggle rather than standing from a distance and saying, I love you. It's two very different things. And they impact us in a very different way. Jesus, he doesn't simply come to die and rise again he comes for a greater purpose so that there is a possibility of relationship and connection with you and with me the thing that you and I crave is the thing that he craves with us how beautiful is that And we see this in the life of Jesus, not just isolated to specific stories that he tells that are metaphors for greater ideas of love and acceptance. No, 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 these these are well beyond that. In the last moment, the last conversation and interaction he had on the cross, he has a thief on both sides. The Bible says that they're actually known more as revolutionaries, violent advocates for the Jewish resistance against the Roman Empire. They were, they were fighting the thing that Jesus was fighting against, but he, they were doing it, against the, doing it in a very different way. And one of them mocks Jesus and says, if you are God, save yourself and then save us. Isn't it interesting that the way of humanity, the way of you and I, is that if we get ourselves right first, then we can do something about other people. But the way of Jesus was, I'm going to save you first by giving of myself. He immediately comes to flip the script. And then the the thief on the other side, he looks at Jesus and, and he doesn't have his life right. He hasn't figured it all out. He hasn't read the Bible and and know it inside out, upside down. He hasn't said the right prayers. All he says to Jesus in that moment is, Remember me. Remember me. And Jesus says, you're going to be with me now. Because all Jesus wanted in that moment was connection. That it wasn't this head knowledge or this idea of getting your life right or the idea of doing all of the pieces that somehow fit you into God's perfect box and then you get to ascend to heaven and be with him. It was simply, remember me. My heart is yours, Jesus. I want to be with you, so let's be. And then on the other side of the grave, Jesus comes back. And I love that the first thing that he asks Mary is not standing from above and saying, do you see me glow now? I'm back. (laughs) He says, why are you weeping? Because he craves connection and relationship and his heart is for you and for me 
And then he asks, whom are you seeking? Because he knows that's where we go over and over and over again. I know for myself, I often crave different things, but when I've evaluated moments in my life, I find this consistent narrative that I crave this idea of significance, whether it was the idea of going to school and getting a good job and having significance in that, or or getting into the right relationship and being a a good husband and a good father, and that, that was part of my significance and the struggle of those moments and always searching for significance in the wrong places and the things that we crave drive the decisions that we make and I was craving significance and it was leading me down these decisions and these paths that just weren't true to who I was or what I was wanting to do or where I was supposed to be in life and then I had this moment And this is what God does. He interrupts our stories, whether it's Mary who's weeping at the tomb or the thief who's up there on the cross. Both stories are interrupted by Jesus in those moments where he comes in and he shows them a new way. And my story was interrupted where I didn't know where my life was going. I didn't know what it was going to do. I didn't really know how to make myself happy or feel fulfilled. But then I came into this encounter with a living, risen Savior in Jesus. And he did not correct every piece of my life immediately. It did not get right immediately on every front. But what I did find was immediately connection and relationship that transformed my heart. I think the hardest part about the idea of resurrection is often not the actual idea of a God raising himself from the dead. If you believe that Jesus is God, sure. If he's God, yeah, he he can raise himself from the dead. Why not? I think that the hardest part about the idea of resurrection is we can't believe that we would ever see resurrection in our own stories. That the things that are dead, that the things that are broken, that the things that are hurting, we don't know how those could come back to life. That the pieces that we've given up on, the relationships that have been torn away, the hurts that seem to have nailed themselves into our very soul, all seem to be permanent and unretrievable. But the invitation of Jesus is not simply to say that I have come so that I might have life. He says that you, that you might have life and life abundantly. That you might experience resurrection in your own story. The power of resurrection was not simply raising Jesus from the dead. The power of resurrection was giving you new life. And new life in your story. The idea of resurrection is is so hard to believe. And you know what? We could probably spend an an entire like four-week series trying to break down the historicity of Jesus and and talking about all the details around him. But if if I'm just going to do a brief look at the idea of the resurrection... You know what? Jesus had a poor marketing manager. He didn't do things the right way. If you were going to convince people that you had 
come back from the dead, he did it in a really poor way. The first person to see him out of the grave was a woman. A woman did not even have the ability to have a witness in the court of law at the time. Why would you have her see you first? He had the first people to communicate about him to be a bunch of fishermen, common people, people of no station, people of no authority, people of no influence were the people telling about Jesus. That when they showed up, it wasn't like Christianity is today where we see that there is a level of privilege amongst Christianity in North America, that there's a level of influence, there's a level of ability. They were stepping into a culture and a society where it was going to be hard, where nobody believed them, where they were persecuted and beat down. None of those seem like the perfect marketing solution to have a worldwide religion. And yet, the power of it was not the, the details of the people. It was the power of it was in the person of Jesus saying that I love you, I desire to be with you, and I crave relationship and connection with anyone and with everyone. And all you need to do is say, remember me. And we say it's too simple. There must be more to it. But the Bible communicates so beautifully that the only thing that he invites us into is not, he's not looking for us to get everything perfect. He's not looking for us to say perfectly the right words or read the right verse or say the magic incantation that suddenly causes Jesus to float above us. It's very simply that grace, love, and forgiveness are already present. And he's already given it. And he never stops giving it. He's just asking us today, will you accept it? Will you build that connection with me? Will you build that relationship with me? Can we do life together? Will you allow the same power that took me from the grave to be the same power that resurrects something that might be dead inside of you? The resurrection is about you finding life. The gift of unconditional forgiveness. A forgiveness undeserved is this incredible pathway to freedom. To genuine connection, to authentic relationships and to a real purpose. When we stop feeling like we have to earn the love of God, when we stop feeling like we have to earn the love of everyone around us to, to matter, suddenly life becomes so much more free. And you're given an opportunity to, to feel that, to discover that, to know that. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16 to 17 says, So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and new life has begun. 
resurrection is not a consoling opium soothing us with the promise of better days ahead in a world after. And it's not about the idea of the life to come. It's about life right now. Romans 6 verses 8 to 11 says, And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We're sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. And when he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus was an invitation to experience resurrection ourselves. New life, new birth, new hope, a freely given gift from a loving God wanting simply to draw us near. Near to a God who knows our cravings and wants to meet us in them. This is an invitation to discover a relationship with him. That's not predicated on anything. We're simply invited to accept it. And the areas in your life that you think are dead, that, we, that you think are too far gone, that you think somehow disqualify you from experiencing this kind of relationship, they are completely rewritten by Jesus. That when he chose to die for you and be resurrected three days later, this was an invitation to every person that if death could not hold me down, nothing could hold you down. Nothing can separate me from you. Nothing can stop me from loving you. Nothing can stop me from forgiving you. Nothing can stop me from knowing you and from accepting you because you are forgiven, you are beloved, and you are seen in this moment. And the Bible says when we make a commitment in our hearts to follow Jesus, when we accept the love that he has freely given to us, we are reborn. We are given a new life. Not for the later, but for the now. Would you close your eyes with me if you feel comfortable? This is just for the purposes of privacy. So here this morning on Resurrection Sunday, as we're talking about the idea of Jesus, perhaps there are so many more questions that you have. And let me just say this, that... Jesus is not afraid of your questions. But his invitation is simple. And the opportunity is in front of you. That in his great love for you, he came, he died, was buried, and he rose again three days later so that you could experience new life. The resurrection is not a story meant to help Christians skip to the good part, but it's an experience, but to experience the fullness of life and love and community right now. So I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you're here this morning and and you don't know about this idea of Jesus and and you don't have a relationship or connection with him and, and this is something that you want in your story, that you're saying that I want to experience the dead things in my life to come back. I want to experience love that is unconditional and forgiveness that is freely given. I want to experience the trueness of how his relationship and connection to us fulfills all craving that we really have.
If that's you this morning, I want you just to be praying this along with me. So Jesus, we welcome you into this place and we say thank you for your grace and your goodness. Thank you that your love is more than enough to fulfill all that we need. Thank you that in the midst of our searching and our struggle and our conflict and our confusion, you remained the same and you stayed with us. Thank you for the gift that you give to us through your resurrection, a gift of new life. For every person that's here today, that as they're praying in their hearts, that their good works, their good intentions, they're not good enough. But thank you, Jesus, that you are. And so we invite you into our story. We, we accept the invitation of your love. And we say, change us and transform us. Lead us into new places that we could have never thought possible. Help us to look more like you and to live into that story that you invite us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you that forgiveness is in this place, the resurrection is in our hearts, and that hope is our story. For every person that's here this morning, we give you glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope you enjoyed that message. Please subscribe to stay up to date with every weekly message. For more information on City Collective, please visit www.citycollective.com. Or if you're in the greater Vancouver area, come visit us for a Sunday. You can find more about our church and how you can get involved with what God is doing in the Lower Mainland. Have a great day.